All right. So here we are on the Soul at Ease podcast. Thank you for being here today. I have with me Jennifer Griggs, and Jennifer is a personal and leadership coach who helps high achieving professionals and others with a focus on forgiveness and self forgiveness. So, extremely looking forward to this conversation today, Jennifer, because I am very passionate about the forgiveness topic. So before we dive deep into that, why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself a little bit? Well, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and I share your passion for forgiveness, which Mm -hmm. pops up as a need for even my one-on-one clients as well as my group coaching clients. Yeah. And where are you from and sort of how did you get started with coaching? Well, I am a physician. I'm an oncologist. So I take care of people with cancer. And I went through a really traumatic betrayal at work Mm -hmm. uh, where I was abandoned and lies were told about me. And it wasn't just one person. It was the institution. And I got stuck. I really couldn't move forward. I couldn't see a future. And I realized something had to change. And so I read a lot of books. I trained uh, to be a forgiveness coach and then decided I wanted to be a full-fledged coach. So I went through, you know, formal coach training. And while forgiveness is part of what I do, what I found is that forgiveness is a big stepping stone to joy in Mm. every area and in purpose, which I'd lost. You know, I lost my purpose. I lost my joy. I couldn't see a way out of this darkness. And since going through my own forgiveness journey, I now really want to share that with other people. And like I said, forgiveness pops up everywhere, you know, because work can be toxic or we have a challenging relationship at work. Our past, things that we've decided we have to forgive ourselves for so we can move forward into a life of purpose and joy. And since I've become a coach, I sort of realized this is really what I probably should have been doing all along instead of, because um, I was coaching my patients, you know, for 30 years, I was helping them find purpose and joy after a traumatic event, often that did require some forgiveness uh, in terms of having cancer and encounters they would have with their doctors who said the wrong thing or their family members who weren't there for them, or if they felt they caused their cancer, working on self-forgiveness. So it feels like this continuous thread to me, you know, it fits really well why I went into medicine. And now I just, I just love coaching because it's, it's a little different from expert down, right? It's the expert within the client and that evoking that wisdom is what I really love. Right. Yeah. And Man, I have like so many, I feel like so many avenues of where we could take this conversation (laughs) right now. I'm like hearing your story and, you know, also some topics that, you know, that I know come up a lot too, but, and I don't know if this is starting with a, a really like heavy hitting question right away, but what do you think it is that keeps us stuck in, in holding us back on wanting to forgive, like, or being able to being able to do that? That's a terrific first question. There are (laughs) several things that come to mind. 
The first is that people don't really understand what forgiveness is. They think yes. that forgiveness means that you're saying what the other person or people did was okay. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case at all. People also think forgiveness is like a light switch. You know, it happens all of a sudden. They think that it's not, a, they don't understand it's a process. They think that they're not worthy of forgiving themselves, that they have to go back and change the past. And it's been said that forgiveness, nobody actually knows who says this, but people think they have to go back and fix their past. But forgiveness is actually giving up all hope of a better past and looking mm -hmm. to the future. The other thing that they think about forgiveness is that you give up your search for justice. Even experts in forgiveness talk about the dark side of forgiveness, where forgiveness isn't what we should be looking for, it's justice. But you can actually do both, mm -hmm. which is, I think, really important when we think about groups of people who have been hurt systematically by an employer, by our country, by leaders, by somebody in their life who's hurt them profoundly, you don't have to give up justice. So I think there are a lot of myths that get in the way. And I mm -hmm. think people also may not realize that they deserve the life that forgiveness would help them get. So one of, one of the other barriers is anger. Anger is energy. You know, it's like an energy bar. If you are feeling down or depressed, hang on to your anger because it's like a drug. You know, it's like an addiction to some people. I know it was for me. Right. Anger, anger gives us energy. It fuels us. It helps us get out of bed some days because we're going to show them. Yeah. Like anger is actually more effective, I suppose, than than apathy or anything like that. Because like you said, yeah, it's, it's still at least it gets you moving. It's, right. It shows that you're you, you're caring and concerned about something that you're at, right. at least feeling angry about it. Yeah. Right. And our search for justice is based on being angry about the way things are. Mm -hmm. The problem with anger between two people is that staying angry, resentful, holding a grudge keeps you tethered to the person who hurt you. They mm. become the reference point around which your life centers if that makes sense. So everything is, is in valence to that person. Yep. Yeah. I think that that happens yeah. a lot. You get angry at somebody and then you just ruminate and ruminate and ruminate yes. and yeah, you really hang on to it. And then it's not, there's no, there's something I have written here. Cause I was actually going through, I have a book called radical forgiveness mm. um, that I just, I love that book, but I was reviewing some of the things that I had highlighted from the last time I read it. And, you know, it was talking about with anger and resentment and that kind of stuff. And I think when it gets anger too, like sometimes people get scared of anger, like some people mm -hmm. like it, but then some people are like, Ooh, this is not a safe feeling, but, mm -hmm. but it says in the book that we have to be willing to access the pain for the healing to begin. Absolutely. And I think anger sometimes tries to like cover the actual pain of the hurt because it feels a little bit more righteous maybe mm -hmm. or you know where mm -hmm. you're like no I'm just angry at that person and it's there and they're not accessing your actual internal pain of where it's coming from to start the healing process you're absolutely right and in fact the first one of the early steps in the forgiveness cycle which I call it because you do 
you know, if you remember what happened to you, which is part of learning as we forgive, you don't want to go back in the same situation. So forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. Right. Yes. Right. Exactly. So anger is a boundary that keeps us from getting hurt. And boundaries are super important. As you know, this is one of your boundaries are your thing. Yeah. <laughs> boundaries are your thing. But um, you're right that one of the key steps in the forgiveness process is after telling your story to a trusted person as objectively as you can, it's feeling the feelings. And underneath anger is often fear and grief, mm -hmm. which people don't want to access. Yes. It's such a key step of the forgiveness process. And we yeah. have such blunted emotions, you know, in our in our culture, you know, that we don't allow ourselves to truly feel what's underneath. Yeah. Yeah. There really is a lot of like fear on top of fear there, you know, because we have mm -hmm. so many, a lot of the actions we take that aren't healthy for us come out of fear. They mm -hmm. come from a fear base, but we don't want to like acknowledge that. And we don't want to see that that's the reason for it. You know, we want to, it's, mm -hmm. it's just interesting how that happens. I love that you mentioned too, that, that forgiving is not forgetting and that you should not forget. Mm -hmm. And that was another thing I was just reading yesterday. And I can't even remember what book it is. Cause I have about six books that I just open up freely at any given mm -hmm. time. But, um, but this one said the same thing where it was like your best not to forget, like the people who are actually really good at forgiveness know that they should not forget because there's always a lesson to be learned there. There's always, you know, you can't, you can't, well, that's, I think it's from the same book that I was just reading there too, but yeah, it's, it's just like, you have to learn the lesson so that you can really apply it to your life in a way that keeps you moving forward more in a more healthy way. Oh, absolutely. The thing that happened to me at work, I'll never forget. And boy, did I learn some lessons. I was quite mm. naive and yeah. it's changed how I coach. It changes how I mentor. Uh, it changes how I behave around people uh, mm. for, for good. You know, I've learned a lot about myself because in the case of my situation, I was an, an innocent victim. Um, mm. You know, all the other feeling that people I didn't even talk about is shame. You know, that's yeah. the third rail of emotions. And when we're hurt, when we're the victims of trauma, or if we were a willing partner in what happened, fame is triggered. And we just don't know how to talk about fame. Right. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, the Pixar movie, Inside Out? Where, yeah, I've seen it yeah. once. Yeah. Yeah. Fame was not an emotion. There were oh, other emotions, but same, and that could have really moved the conversation forward for children, for their parents to talk yeah. about shame. And, and it was my daughter who studies Pixar. <laughs> she said, why wasn't shame included? Oh, that's such a good point. Yeah. 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 If we could have more, you know, people, I know the word normalize is something that's kind of a keyword that's coming up these days, but mm -hmm. if we could, yeah, normalize the fact that shame is something that comes up because I think it feels like such a solitary emotion. Like when you feel shame, oh, yeah. it just feels so lonely and you feel mm -hmm. like you're the only one who's really feeling that way, but you know that that's not, it's not true, but yeah, it feels like that for sure. So yeah. Deep. Brene Brown says it thrives in darkness, right? We, yes. And one way to deal with one way to develop shame resilience is to talk with other people mm -hmm. and 
feel less alone. And same makes us afraid we are going to be alone, that we won't belong. So working through all this mess is actually how you can break free of the past. Right, right. Well, that probably kind of ties right into, I know we were going to talk about Mm -hmm. self-forgiveness. So that's a big part of that too. So what are your thoughts about that? Because I mean, it's when you're, when you're one-on-one with somebody or there's somebody else that you can pin your anger at, you know, it feels it, I think it's easier to kind of have that outward thing, but obviously with the self-forgiveness portion, I think it is more entwined in the shame and that kind of thing. So how do you, how do you help people go through this process of forgiving themselves? Well, we can start with shame and forgiving others and then it becomes more natural how shame works with self-forgiveness. So you know, when we've been hurt, traumatized, attacked by a stranger, I'm going to put like the most, you know, likely thing where you had no role, right? You were mm. truly an innocent victim, but we know for people who undergo something like that, they're often asked, you know, where were you? Why were you out at night? And mm-hmm. we know that we get really, you know, it shouldn't matter, right? You should be able to wear whatever you want. Mm-hmm. at night it's not your fault yet our society and we ourselves go back and and try to rewind and what if i hadn't why did i i set myself up for this and we know this is the case for a lot of trauma is that there's shame and in fact the person who traumatized us triggers shame and mm-hmm. the media triggers shame and actually there's a lot of money to be made off of shame right, right. like right. you know it's people who we're heavy. There's modification of shame in a lot of different areas. So shame is something people make a ton of money off of. Yeah. Just, you know, underlying capitalism, but also people defending themselves will shame the victim. You know, mm-hmm. the, the defense attorney will say, why were you out walking at night? In other words, you kind of asked for it. So talking right. about that shame with somebody else and truly truly believing that you, you know, were not to blame for this is a first, is it, I can't say it's a first step. It's a key step in self in forgiving yourself. Now, let's say you have contributed to somebody else's pain. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty rare that we're completely innocent. You know, and when I was able to start to heal from what happened to me, I was able to see my part in it and to to learn to speak so tenderly to myself you know with such self-compassion and to have others who were helping me through my own journey do the same Mm. and you know to find what need was I trying to meet when I behaved in the way I did I don't mean to be all you know vague about this but no that's okay yeah I want people to be able to tie it in with their situation you know because usually when we do something for which we have shame we were trying to meet a need a need for connection a need for recognition a key for you know a need for being part of something else and we just didn't do it skillfully so our Mm -hmm. strategy is what hurt the other person that's where most breakdowns happen not we all have universal human needs. And if we can start to recognize what those are, what need we were trying to meet, and where we, our skill broke down, we can be much kinder. We had a positive intention. 
So let's say we're teasing somebody in front of a large group of people. Our Mm -hmm. need was for connection and for humor. We just handled it incredibly unskillfully. Right. Right. So the strategy was wrong. There wasn't anything wrong about us or our human needs to be connected. That's actually quite a lovely need when we're teasing people. It really is a connection thing. And people who who have ADHD, people who are impulsive, people who are young, you know, you can think back to when you were 12 years old and did something that hurt somebody else for which you can't forgive yourself. Or you lashed out at somebody and you wish you hadn't. I still remember in I still remember in kindergarten calling like one of the first days of kindergarten, I, I made fun of one boy's last name. And I still, yeah. like, I still remember that as a thing that I did that I feel bad about that I had done that. So, and, yeah. and these are the things that lodged in us, you know, that we lost regulation basically, right? It's our ability to self-regulate. Yeah. And so through that process, figuring out what was it, is it okay if I ask you? For right now? What, yeah. Like what need might you have been trying to meet? Well, I think like you'd mentioned humor. I'm definitely somebody who uses humor a lot in like situations that might be uncomfortable or, um, you know, just to like break attention or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that that started even when I was a child, I was always kind of a jokester that way. But so I think that that's all I was trying to do was yeah. like create that humor. And I think like it was one of the first days of kindergarten. So I was probably nervous. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then I just remember, and I think this goes back to the whole, like, you know, forgiving, but not forgetting part too, because mm-hmm. I, I remember, I think the reason why it impacted me is because I remember seeing the look on his face mm-hmm. when I did it. You know, and then I was yeah. like, oh, he's, he's not laughing. Like he right. doesn't think this is funny. And I remember just, yeah, that's when I felt like it really impacted me. Like, oh no, what did I do? And yeah. And I just, I, it felt kind of, and I don't think in that moment, you know, I was so young. So I was right. like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't just like right. apologize. I just sort of let it go and had it really uncomfortable, but but yeah, I'm pretty sure it was that, you know, kind of the acceptance too, because I always liked getting kind of laughter from other people. Right, so right. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So you didn't meet it skillfully, but mm-hmm. we can all recognize the need that you have. Right. We all have a need to connect. That's a basic human need. We yeah. all have the need for fun, right? And play. And yep. it wasn't skillful, but that was your basic human need. And as you've gotten older, you, I, um, uh, have developed more self-awareness and more self-regulation, which is one of those strengths that takes a while to develop, but you are not forgetting that I am sure it has made you more tender and Mm -hmm. has helped you over the years from when you were five or six, you know, develop compassion. And, you know, what I, what I would encourage people to do is then talk about it. And even if you don't know where that child is, to go through the anatomy of an apology, and one can write a letter of apology, with, which can get to that restoration, which is what not everybody wants. So forgiveness, another myth about forgiveness is that people think they have to reconcile with the mm-hmm. offender. And right. that's not always safe. So reconciliation yeah. is that's a choice you make down the road. That's 
you know, way after the forgiveness process. With self-forgiveness, just like with forgiveness, we want to work on forgiving one thing at a time and go through the process of telling the story as objectively as possible, naming the feelings, recognizing the need of ourselves before we got in that situation, and even of the other person. The, the, um, the interventions that seem to, to work the most and be the most sustainable with forgiveness have a component of empathy. So mm -hmm. a component where you can take the perspective, you don't have to agree with the other person, but just seeing things through their perspective. Right. Yep, absolutely. And actually that's kind of interesting. I had an example of something this morning and this is this is a part of forgiveness and understanding that I that I try to really share the message on out there, but there was a um a video that one of my Facebook friends had shared this morning and it was just a guy who was kind of saying that there's there's no excuse if somebody doesn't text you back was kind of the general premise. Like if you text somebody and they don't reply to you, then you're not a priority to them. And it was just kind of this message of, you know, like kind of an intolerance for that kind of thing. And, and <laughs> I replied to that because I was like, you know, I said, um, sometimes there is an excuse and sometimes it's that we're imperfect people mm -hmm. and that, you know, I'm like, I know there have been plenty of times that I have not texted somebody back for days because maybe the text came in when I was trying to be really present with someone else. And then I forgot about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. then I, you know, with an apology replied back finally later going, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I forgot. But I'm like, it was never really, uh, you know, so there, and that's what part of it is like, it's hard to see when you feel you're being wronged. Sometimes it can be hard to see the other side of it and understand the other person's perspective perspective for sure. And I would be really curious about this comment that you got, because I wonder if there was ever a time your respondent didn't respond to somebody on text, but mm -hmm. doesn't know it. We don't know if right. we accidentally delete a text when we're looking at another one and deleting it, right? A text comes in, you can delete the wrong text. Yeah. So I think, I think we have to be really careful. Um, with uh, saying one never does this, I never do this, because we don't actually know when we've heard somebody. <laughs> yes, so often I, we don't, because exactly. I'm sure most often people don't want to confront you on it. So. Well, that's right, that's right. And I would say a, a hurtful text is more hurtful than a non-answered text. Uh, it's so true, yeah. 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 So in working in the forgiveness field, one of the things that's become really key to me is the role of dignity. Mm -hmm. And dignity is, there are two essential elements of dignity or components of dignity. One is that we're all born with dignity. It's our inherent value, our inherent worth. Babies are born with dignity. We don't have to earn it or maintain it or curate it or hustle for it, I always say. The Do other, what for it? What did you say? Hustle. We don't have hustle to hustle. for it, yes. Good. Hustle yes. for our own dignity. You know, this yes. hustle culture we live in, we don't have to to keep striving for dignity. Yes. We were born with it. The yeah. other characteristic of dignity is that it's really, really fragile and really vulnerable to injury, not yeah. just by other people, but by ourselves. So we can act in a way that's not dignified, that doesn't, you know, that violates our own dignity. But I'd like to start with 
what we do in forgiveness work is have people write their story down in the most objective way as possible and then identify those elements of dignity. And it's usually more than one that was violated. So Donna Hicks, who wrote the book about dignity that I use as my source, he works with warring parties, so mm. people, global crises, and describes the 10 elements of dignity as acceptance of identity, and that's all aspects of our identity, inclusion, safety, acknowledgement as being listened to, our people hearing our stories and acknowledging our pain and our joys, recognition for our contributions, being thanked. So that's the first five. Mm -hmm. The next ones are trust. Next is autonomy, which she calls independence, but I turned to autonomy after Roe v. Wade was overturned. Yeah, right. Understanding, being understood, being given the benefit of the doubt, which it's hard to ask people to do that of others, but boy, do we hate it when people don't give us the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> yes, right. One thing I've noticed is that, you know, we, people look at me askance, like, are you really thinking I'm going to give people the, uh, the uh, benefit of the doubt? And then I ask them, well, what it's like when you don't get it? And the last one is fairness, where people are treated according to agreed upon rules. And if we think about people who've been hurt, even, uh, and even if you think about something as you're listening to this and thinking about it, you know, people not taking accountability for what they've done after they've hurt you is further violation of your mm -hmm. dignity. So mm -hmm. if you're not included in a meeting where you should have been included or where somebody plagiarizes from you, mm -hmm. that's both acknowledgement and recognition that are violated, fairness, safety. You can see how these, each of these elements is important and might be the primary thing that was violated, but having this vocabulary of dignity has actually transformed the way I think about forgiveness and the way I work with forgiveness with my one-on-one -on -one clients or in group coaching. And people really, it really resonates with people. And then once you start seeing violations of dignity, you can see all the time, everywhere, what's happening on the news. Um, you know, even if you look at a politician who's being mocked mm -hmm. for running for running away from something, he said people wouldn't run away from if they were real Americans. People mm -hmm. mocking him is violating his dignity. And what we know about dignity violations is unless we are highly self-regulated, we tend to laugh out and violate other people's dignity mm -hmm. very right. easily. And that's where this process of both forgiveness and self-forgiveness comes into play. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. I love the putting all of that, all the language and like the definitions inside of dignity as well, because that I think it, it makes something a little bit more logical for people to understand. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, that you can see like, oh yes, that is what happened rather than, you know, just general emotions can feel very elusive, especially when you're not when you're not used to tapping into them or what they mean and, and all of that. So, yeah, I think that that's really cool that somebody could easily just look at that and be like, Oh yeah, I see that was a line that's been crossing. You talk about the boundary lines and things like that. You're yeah. like, that's, 
that's why, that's why that happened. And that's why I felt this way. Right. And then, yeah, using that as a really great platform for the next steps. Yeah. It's really helpful because a lot of people don't understand why something particularly hurts you, you know, Mm -hmm. because it wouldn't have hurt them. But if you can bring it to the language of dignity, now we have this common vocabulary. Yeah. So somebody might have felt excluded by something and they can't quite say that. And other people are like, I'd be really happy not to be invited to that party. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they don't acknowledge that you're hurt. But if you can say to me, that was the element of dignity of inclusion. Oh, right. I can relate to a time when I wasn't included and a time when I violated inclusion. Mm, right. Yep. Yeah. And I like turning that, that part inward too, because mm. that's a part with, with arguments and things again, that people might go outward and get mad at somebody and maybe pinpoint the wrong reason why they're getting upset. And mm-hmm. it's something with my husband just recently that, you know, I've been doing, there's just so much work that I've been doing on this whole thing of, of forgiveness and, and of, and not even just work on forgiveness, but really trying to identify always what's happening within me. And mm-hmm. there was a moment that we, that I got really upset about something and I just, I, I paused and I kind of started crying. So he knew that I was upset. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but he was like, Oh boy, he's like, what happened? You know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And prior me probably would have like really lashed out and be like, I can't believe that you're doing that, you know, like really mm-hmm. getting into it. But I just sat there really quiet for a little while. And he just sort of looked at me because he knows I've been going through this. So it wasn't too weird, but, mm-hmm. um, but I was like, I'm trying to really right now, just figure out what about this is making me hurt. Mm. Like it hurts, this hurts, but I don't, I want to know why, like, I want to really like figure out what is it that, and I think that's exactly what I was doing was Mm -hmm. what part of my dignity was harmed in that moment. And now that you, you put it in that way, that just, yeah, that really clarifies so much about what I, what I've been going through in that process. Yeah. It's, um, it's hard work, right? Because you have to, in a lot of this work, a lot of forgiveness work, you have to revisit the hurt. Yeah. And that can be really hard for people too. Yeah. And sometimes really it's recurring hard. hurts, right? Like it, yes. it's, it's a pattern I call that. And, um, there's a thing that I know Neil Donald Walsh, Walsh talks about a lot. And I think it was in this radical forgiveness book too, but it's reliable repetition yes. where there can be a lot of times where the very same thing that hurts you will come up over and over and over again until you can sort of process through and realize what's going on and find the base of it. And then after that, you typically won't see it arise as much because you've healed from it. Yes. But, I yeah. completely agree. And our own patterns, you know, mm-hmm. what do we, what do we do uh, that hurts others? And I have to say the more forgiving a person I become, the more I'm willing to look at the harm I cause others. Right. Yeah. yeah and the definitely. power of the apology. You know, yeah. the, the anatomy of the apology and making amends and. And you know, really how, you're just seeing the whole humanity of the whole thing, you know, when you there, can put it yes. in perspective that our, our human flaws and how we all, you know, act and why we do the things we do and yeah, seeing things yeah. from all perspectives, it gets a lot easier to, yeah. And to see how, like you said, how you might've afflict, inflicted it on somebody else too. And then you go, oh gosh, like, yes. yeah, I'm sorry that I did that. I didn't mean it, you know, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. We are all flawed. That's what makes us interesting. Mm-hmm. And when we hurt people, we want to stop. 
doing right. that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you think that the opposite, when you were talking about dignity at first, and you're talking about the self-worth, do you think that dignity and shame are opposites? Like, or like if you're, if your dignity gets hurt, that shame is something that kind of naturally will. Absolutely. Right. That. Because, yeah. well, that's your, anytime you give people the message that they are less valuable, Mm-hmm. that they're not worthy yeah of violating somebody's dignity and that's exactly the message of shame gosh shame is i bet you, you it's so it's out there mistake. so much more yeah that you are a mistake right you you are lesser than yeah and you can right. see really well defended people reacting to shame in ways that mm-hmm. make it very clear their dignity has been violated yeah. they don't have that language or introspection and they laugh out yeah or they gossip and all of these things are are temptations when our dignity has been violated that as we mature and grow and embrace all of our flaws and stay connected with people if not those people who hurt us with other people you know we can avoid those temptations righteous indignation is Mm. a temptation when our dignity has been violated the problems with Righteous indignation is we're not looking at all the times that we uh, might be wrong. You know, right. it's, a, it's a nice protector. And you can see people saying to become incredibly righteous, self-righteous. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't allow for healing of themselves or others. It's just a vicious cycle. I mean, that that's describing a- our entire political Mm-hmm. landscape right now of how yes. how people are feeling when they get into social media arguments and things like yeah. that it's yeah there is no seeing any other side there's never any use to those conversations because that's it immediately turns into that if there can't be any middle ground found or humanity found in that yeah right this is othering people right it's just yep. saying you're not me and that's that's for your same you're not worthy you're not you know you are a mistake Mm-hmm. Um, so it really is a pretty small circle of pain and restoration. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's really impactful stuff. I love that. I love the whole dignity conversation. I'm glad that we, I'm glad that we went through that. Cause I think that can shed a lot of light for a lot of people. <laughs> Super um, helpful when you read the news and you look at the comments and which I don't know why I do this, but I get the New York times on my phone. I do not know why I click on the comments because that's where <laughs> unhappiness lives, right? But, but now, you know, that I'm sort of obsessed with dignity, I can see the person responding is responding to an affront to their dignity by hurting another person's dignity. Yeah. Very little curiosity. You know, yes. could you say more about what you mean? Yeah. And, and that's how we code, right? We say, we ask for more information before mm-hmm. we... Uh, and we don't render judgment, you know, it's a judgment-free zone. And right. I think if we all could learn to say, can you say more about that? Even mm-hmm. when our own dignity has been hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, we're told, oh, well, you wouldn't understand because you have all this. We'll say more about that. Right. Just staying open. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. 
Awesome. Well, we're having to get close to kind of wrapping up here, but um, do you have any like resources on, you know, forgiveness, self-forgiveness, any of this dignity stuff that you would like to share with the listeners? Yes, I've, um, I have written about this on my LinkedIn page, Jennifer Griggs, and my um, Facebook page. I also have some resources that just tie into all of this, and that's Jennifer Griggs, and on Instagram, I'm Jennifer Griggs Coaching, and my website is www.jennifergriggs.com, okay. and I'll be loading all of these resources under a resource tab. Okay. I'm sad. And I'll have this in show notes as well. I'll make sure that I get everything in there. Um, and then how do you work with people? Do you do, you were talking about one-on-one and group coaching and things like that. How does that look? Well, the group coaching is six sessions. It's not, sometimes it's spread, it's better spread out over more than six weeks. Cause as you know, a lot of the work of coaching happens between sessions and, yes. you know, especially if people need to let go of resistance, it really helps them to see what would forgiveness make possible. And mm-hmm. so that's the first thing we talk about, but it's six sessions, a total of 12 hours. I meet one-on-one with folks before we start. And then there are resources before, during, and after each session. Okay. There are small groups. So no more than 20, and I hold a group of the smallest three people. And the, the thing that the magic happens in the group setting, because mm. people holding compassionate curiosity and love for each other in that space is honestly, it's not the content, right? You could write a book. Mm-hmm. It's, it's people being together where the transformation happens. Mm-hmm. And my one-on-one coaching, a lot of clients come to me having been hurt at work and they're trying to make a decision about whether to stay at work or whether they want to change jobs, leave their profession altogether. And so we work with the dignity model and they're not coming for forgiveness coaching, but we use a lot of the framework Mm -hmm. of of the dignity model and the forgiveness model. I don't do forgiveness coaching with one-on-one clients unless they ask for it, but I I think a lot of people are coming to me because they've been hurt often that by is work. actually the root, yeah. A coworker and, you know, a partner, a parent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what they say a lot, right? Is people don't often leave their jobs. They leave their management or they that's leave exactly the, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. Well, very cool. Thank you so much Thank for you. being here. Thank you. This was a here. great conversation. You asked great questions and I just, I just love spending this time with you. Yeah, it was awesome. I love diving in again to this topic is, is amazing. So I'm sure if you stay tuned to, to the show, there'll be a lot more talks that I'll have about this as well. Cause it's definitely something I can talk for a long time about, but yeah, we'll, Thank we'll you, cut this Jill. one for now. And perhaps I'll have you back again another time. If there's All more right. deeper, we want to dive into some of these things, but I would yeah. love it. Thanks awesome. a lot, Jill. You bet. You have a great day. You too. <laughs> Bye.